the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of College Coffee Talk. I'm Andy Lockwood. Pearl Lockwood is on special assignment en route to sunnier weather in Orlando, Florida, with two of our college kids on break. Uh, she will, rumor has it, she will not be the day after speaker at C, was it CPAP, whatever it's called. Uh, she's going to the Harry Potter world, even though she's not a Harry Potter fan. So here I am. Going solo, Andy Lockwood, Lockwood College Prep. This is an episode of our weekly college coffee talk show. It's also going to be posted in a few other places, including our podcast, which is the College Planning Edge. So join me in a simultaneous sip of coffee if you have that. And now, let's talk about money. Um. A lot of times, you know, Pearl and I do these broadcasts and we talk about, you know, what's happening, um, you know, breaking news, changes. However, I think it's also a good idea to go back over some of the basics. And because um, a lot of people don't really understand the fundamentals and it's frankly easy for Pearl and I to lose track of that because, you know, we're so en enmeshed in financial aid and college admissions and helping kids get into college, helping parents pay, uh, negotiating with colleges, SAT prep, ACT prep, and all that. That's all we do. So sometimes it's hard for us to uh, to lose sight. Um, so if you have a question today, this is going to be a short little micro lesson on paying for college, then um, pop, pop it in chat here, or you can email us. That email is currently scrolling across the bottom of this frame vip at lockwoodcollegeprep.com if it you know if it's something personal you have an inquiry about uh getting our help or something like that and good morning to chris couch nice to see you um so let's get into it there's three types of ways to pay for college at a discount there's, there's more but i'm only going to talk about the legal ones um, there is the need-based system, there's the merit-based system, and then there are tax advantage ways to pay for college, typically for high-income business owners. Um, I'm not a CPA. I know enough about that to be dangerous. I'll talk about that briefly after I address the first two. So need-based aid, merit-based aid, and uh, paying with tax strategies or tax scholarships as my personal CPA and college funding expert, Rick Darvis CPA, coined the term uh, decades ago. So need-based aid is based on your, uh, broadly speaking, your resources to pay for college as uh, determined by colleges and the federal regulations, Title IV from the Department of Education, they are derived, the, your, your ability to pay is derived from certain formulas. So without getting too much in the weeds, because I will do a 
full-blown webinar on this coming up in the near future. Without getting too much in the weeds, <clears throat> the way it works is you fill out a financial aid application, you submit it, and then a few months later, the college will tell you, here's what you get, or here's what you don't get, as the case may be. So in terms of here's what you get, they will review every college in the country takes one particular form called the FAFSA, Free Application for Federal Student Aid. I learned recently that that technology that it's based on on the website is from 45 years ago, which explains why it goes in and out and it's not available, you know, probably 70% of the time that Pearl, uh, who handles all those forms in our office, uh, tries to submit forms on the FAFSA. So that's neither here nor there. That's just a little fun sidebar on the fact that uh, you, when you're dealing with a government agency, you may not always be the most efficient um, way, way to get money. Every college takes the FAFSA. It's about 108 questions. It's going to be scaled back supposedly next year to roughly a third of that. Um, that although that may be pushed back another year, that's the current debate. Should we implement all these changes next year? And it asks basic questions about your income, your savings, information about your kid's income, your kid's savings. Relatively straightforward on its face. However, people like to make a ton of mistakes on the FAFSA. Sometimes they're sort of silly ones, you know, seemingly harmless, like mixing up your social security number with your kids or vice versa, um, or transposing dates of birth or socials, things like that. Other times they are uh, a lot more serious in that you will sabotage your own eligibility, for example, by disclosing things that the actual rules tell you not to disclose. So big one, if you care to write this down or make a note of it or go back and watch this later, one of the biggest is in the section that asks you about your investments on the FAFSA, it tells you what not to include. And so many parents ignore that because you know the rules are not so obvious when you're doing one of these forms. And um, one of the big ones that people overshare is retirement accounts, your 401k, IRA, I, you know, every year we hear from dozens of parents who made those mistakes and ask us, you know, can we correct them? You can correct them. Uh, that's a process that you do sort of after the fact. Uh, if you stumble across something like this on the internet, on YouTube or Facebook or wherever you're watching this, um, that should cue you to go ahead and, uh, and resubmit the FAFSA, then notify the financial aid office. But that's one of the big mistakes that people make is not understanding what should be shared or disclosed and what should not be shared or disclosed on the FAFSA. So read those rules very, very carefully. Um, roughly 300 plus colleges require an additional form, not in lieu of, but in addition to the FAFSA called the CSS profile. And that is much more complicated and lengthy than the FAFSA. So currently the FAFSA, as I record this in uh, the last day of February, 2022, is 100 plus questions. The profile can be 200 or even close to 300 questions, depending on which colleges you are applying to. Incidentally, here's another uh, mistake that people make, is not knowing that there are two processes. When you're getting ready to go to college, there's the process of your college applications, which I'll do another segment on at some point in the near future, that kids fill out, you know, the where they list their grades and their scores and their extracurriculars and um, all the other stuff, essays. But there's also the process of applying for money, which is a separate process with separate 
and distinct deadlines. So just in the last uh, two weeks, we heard from two different people who uh, whose kids had already long since applied for college. And now in um, the end of January, in one case, in the beginning of February, in the other person's case, they were just turning to trying to get money for college. Um, unfortunately, for many colleges, they the deadlines for or the priority deadlines that they request are usually much earlier than January and February. Not all, but usually. So in uh, these particular people's cases, their priority deadlines were November, I believe, November 15th and, uh, and maybe December 1st. We still submitted the, the applications for them, but I'm not so sure that they're going to get a fair, full and fair reading of their applications because that's what colleges say. Get it in by before your priority deadline and that's your best shot of getting money. All right, so the other, back to the other form, the CSS profile, some colleges, 300 plus colleges, require that in addition to the FAFSA. And you have to look at each one of the colleges on your potential list to, to see which colleges require this CSS profile, which is two to 300 questions, much more complicated. It's used mostly by colleges that have their own money to give out. They don't rely solely on federal funds, which is what the FAFSA, Free Applications for Federal Student Aid, is all about. All right. <clears throat> Just to go down a little bit more of a rabbit hole, um, a lot of people are divorced. 50-something percent of families um, are divorced, apparently. So the CSS profile asks about the other parent, the non-custodial parent, meaning currently this means the uh, parent that the child does not live with most of the time. FAFSA, on the other hand, does ask only about one parent, the custodial parent. So what has to be included varies with each application. With the CSS profile, because it's more than twice as long as the FAFSA in most cases, it could ask for 10 times more information. So you need to know this long before your deadlines. And if you're gonna do this yourself, you need to block out time, at least one or two weekends, to do a really good job, gather all the information you need, understand the questions, understand not only what's included, but what should be omitted. Because again, that's one of the main ways that people sabotage themselves by over-including or over-disclosing stuff that shouldn't be disclosed. All right, so after the financial aid office reviews whichever applications it requires, and I just named the two most popular ones, but there are others depending on each school, so you're on your own to figure out what, what applications are required and when they're due, right? So after the financial aid office reviews everything, then they will say, well, based on what we reviewed, here is what we can offer you. And here's the deal with that. It varies. A lot of parents are stunned when they get, you know, great offers from two or three colleges and less than great offers from one or two colleges that all reviewed the same data. How can this be? Well, the short answer is number one, Colleges have different budgets. They don't all have the same amount of money. Their endowments vary extremely widely. Number two, just because a college has a large endowment doesn't mean it's particularly generous. At all, you know, doesn't mean that at all necessarily. Like NYU has a fairly substantial endowment. So the University of Michigan, um, I don't think of either two of those. Either of those colleges is particularly generous, in my experience. Um, you can look this stuff up, by the way, for yourselves. There's a few different resources. I think one of the better, but not 100% accurate sources 
is the net price calculator. Uh, each college has a net price calculator on its website. They are not uniform. They vary also. But if you were interested in you know, applying to um, Georgetown University, you could search Georgetown University net price calculator and plug in some information and they would come up with a potential offer based on the information that you put in to the uh, net price calculator. Um, the College Board website, collegeboard.org, also publishes information about financial aid generosity. It's not going to be tailored to your situation, but it will give you an idea of, of how generous that college is or not. All right. So that's one reason that offers vary. Another reason has to do with the relative strength of your child compared to the other kids that he or she is competing with. Even colleges that claim that they are need blind, such as Ivy League schools, still frequently engage in what's called preferential packaging, meaning they will offer a better financial aid package consisting of free money and uh, loans for the most part to kids that they prefer. So Ivy League schools don't offer athletic scholarships, but they frequently engage in preferential packaging of their need-based awards to recruited athletes, for example. So that's another reason why these awards can vary greatly. Um, this happens a lot when uh, around this time of year, or even a little bit earlier, kids start hearing back from schools and you know they're breathlessly opening up their uh, their laptops, they're you know taking out their phone to you know of course film themselves as they open up their uh, emails or, or log into the portals of the colleges with their decisions. And you know, it's great when they start getting into schools, but usually those are the easier ones, the, you know, the safety type schools first. And then when uh, typical, typical early decision for dream schools, you know, those deadlines to hear back from colleges are usually like mid-December, sometimes beginning of de December, but usually in the middle. Um, frequently they get, they get in, they're psyched, you know, they're crying, hugging, high-fiving, mom and dad, of course, who sometimes care more than the kids, tears of joy, et cetera. But, few days later, financial aid offer arrives, and that's a cold flap in the face. And sometimes that financial aid award is nowhere near as generous as the awards from the uh, easier schools to get into. And it makes sense, because if you're applying to a college that you're lucky to get into, that you have to beg, borrow, and steal, and scratch, and claw your way to be admitted to, they're not necessarily going to roll out the red carpet the same way as a, a school where you're in the top 10 to 20% of the cohort that you're competing with. So that's another big reason I call that uh, Murphy's College Law. You know, the school you want to get into the most offers you the least amount of money. And then it's up to you to try to negotiate the offer. So um, I'll talk to you very briefly about this. If you want more information on that, um, I wrote a book uh, called, um, oh, look, I just coincidentally happened to have it here, this one. Uh, I don't know, this is on Amazon. Jeff Bezos is holding a copy for you, how to negotiate your crappy financial aid and merit aid offer. Tell Bayes to give you a little bit of a price break. He'll ignore you. Um, the best ways to negotiate, the, the three, I'm going to give you the, the, the shortcut here that's so, so you don't have to labor through the 70-page massive war and peace equivalent of how to negotiate your offer. Um, three ways. Number one is to have competitive offers from 
other colleges that are also competitive with the one you're trying to negotiate. So if you're watching this and you have an 11th grader or a 10th grader or younger, remember the best defense is a good offense. It's having other offers from other schools in your hip pocket. That's, that's the best way. It doesn't work if you go early decision because you, you can't use those. Um, just check the comments here. Yes, if you have any questions. Hello, oh, good morning to Christina. All right. Um, if you have any questions, pop them in here. I will either address them live or we'll go back on uh, on replay. So other offers is uh, one of the top three ways to, to use as a way to negotiate. Second, um, really has to do with giving additional information. The, the next two, actually, number two and number three uh, negotiating tips has to do with um, sharing new information about either a drop in income since you filed the financial aid applications, or number three, um, uh, an increase in a significant increase in expenses. So regarding number two, the, the drop in income, financial aid is based on what happened two years ago, at least in terms of your income. So if you have someone who's graduating high school in 2023, the main, uh, data that the financial aid rules contemplate and colleges is your income from two years ago, from 2021. But a lot of people had changes in their income, especially over the last couple of years with the pandemic and all that. So I've written a ton of letters that have uh, said words to the effect of, look, I know that a couple of years ago, we had a pretty high income on paper, but since then things have been far less rosy. So a drop in income is uh, is really important to disclose. And if that happened to you, that is worth appealing over. Um, the third one, increased expenses. Those have to be significant expenses that they wouldn't know about. So um, one of the things that people, I, I hear a lot from people in terms of trying to appeal is like, look, um, I live in a very high tax area. You know, I'm here on Long Island in New York. We have clients in San Francisco and other you know, super high tax areas. Um, that's not new information because the financial aid offices see your financial aid application that has your your address on there. But new information might be along the line. I just wrote an appeal that was uh, successful um, for a family, and I wasn't sure how which way it was going to go. But the increased expenses that we talked about was the uh, the dad was opening up a car wash, and right before the pandemic opened, uh, he was getting everything together, and then the pandemic occurred, I should say. And he had to, you know, he couldn't open, but he still had all these expenses to, you know, the equipment that he's, that he paid for, he sunk money into, um, he had to pay, you know, his, um, his, his real estate. I think he leased the, I don't think he owned the, uh, the, the, the site that the car wash was on, um, all sorts of other stuff that went into, uh, you know, running a business. So <clears throat> that wasn't necessarily an increased expenses or they, they really were because they're leading up to openings a, um, a business, but he didn't have any revenue coming in because they were shut down to offset those expenses or even make a profit. So that's uh, kind of a loosely related example. Another one could be, which is very common, could be you have to take care of um, older relatives and you, you help them out. But that's, again, it can't be just like, I gave him 500 bucks. You know, it's gotta be something a little bit more significant that bears on your ability to pay for college. Um, legal bills, um, you know, getting divorced, shutting down a business, being sued. Those, those are significant expenses. 
So those are the three, uh, basically the three areas that I think can help mount a successful appeal, offers from competitor colleges that you should actually show to the, uh, to the school that you're trying to go after to get more money from, and then uh, drop in income and increase expenses. All right, so that's all I want to talk about really quick for uh, for need-based aid. And again, pop any questions in here if you want to hear those, um, if, you, if you want to get those answered. And if you're listening to this on replay or on our podcast or something like that, you can email us directly. The email is vip at lockwoodcollegeprep.com. And I may answer it on a future episode of College Coffee Talk. Who knows? Wouldn't that be nice? You'd have that going for you, which is nice. All right. Um, Merit-based aid. Best thing I can tell you about merit-based aid is that generally um, it's easier to get from private colleges where you are at the top of the heap in that top 10 to 20% of the other kids, of the group of kids that you're competing with. Some out-of-state state universities give merit aid uh, frequently, such as University of Delaware, uh, University of Vermont, UMass in the Northeast. I don't see a lot of California schools or West Coast schools doing that other than um, Arizona, which I guess is not really a coast. Um, but um, generally the private schools. So if you don't qualify for need-based aid, and a lot of our clients don't, uh, it's actually not such a big deal because there's, actually, there's more merit-based aid out there um, for the taking than there's need-based aid. That's been a shift that, that occurred um, I think in 2008, maybe it's, it's been, it's been a long time. And, and now in today's competitive environment, college, um, where there's more applications going in, colleges have less of a feel for if they admit you, whether you're actually going to show up. So I think there's more negotiating and haggling in play, particularly for merit aid. That's been my um, early experience. Uh, it, was, it was pretty good last year with negotiating and this year, I think it's going to be okay. Um, colleges, by the way, had a great year in term, despite the pandemic. They had a great year in terms of their endowment returns. You know, the stock market uh, was big, even though a lot of colleges don't invest their endowments in the stock market. They too made a ton of money. I remember reading an article a couple months ago for colleges. I think with um, five hundred million dollars and up in their endowments, had a average return of like thirty two percent, something outstanding last year. It's amazing. So the money's there, folks. Don't don't be afraid to ask for more. And a lot of it's on the merit side. So um, so understand that it's not over if you don't qualify for need-based aid by any stretch. All right, last thing I want to say before we wrap up here. Um, so last call for questions. Or if you just want to say hi in chat, um, I'd uh, welcome that. Um, the tax strategies for high-income business owners. So what that involves... In a nutshell, this is me as a non-CPA, is sheltering income. So there's different ways to do that. Um, a lot of people think of, well, if I contribute to my retirement accounts, I'm going to lower my, uh, my my taxable income. Is that going to help me for financial aid? Or they assume that's going to help them. That's actually not one of the ways that helps you for financial aid because that gets added back. But if you are a business owner, there might be ways to shelter income so that um, – your savings is not necessarily coming from the colleges. It's coming from Uncle Sam, from the tax code, from the IRS. Like who cares where it's coming from, right? It's not, money is money. 
So in need-based aid, I'm just by, by way of contrast, money in your kids' names, savings accounts, penalizes you far more than if it were in your own names. And by the way, that's one of the mistakes that people make on the FAFSA, which I opened up with talking about today. So if you missed that, uh, definitely watch the beginning. I, I talked to, about some of the biggest mistakes that people make. I think I named three or four. Um, so I'm, I'm adding to that. Another one is putting information that should be about the parents in the kids' names, the kids' boxes on the FAFSA, so to speak, and vice versa. So if you have a couple hundred thousand dollars you know, saved up in your name, that penalizes you roughly 11,000 bucks and change. If you mistakenly say that's in your kid's name, it's very easy to do on, the, on these forms because they, they are, even though they're straightforward, they're forms, right? So if you're doing them like, you know, at two in the morning on the day that they're due or something, um, you might make mistakes. So that same amount could penalize, that's, but put it in, the, in your kid's name by accident, uh, could penalize you like 50 grand, right? It, re it really is a, a big difference. So <clears throat> for need-based aid, you want to take money out of your kids' names. But now in, in this part of the, uh, today's uh, show here, I'm talking about tax strategies or tax scholarships for high-income families. And that's more about taking money and putting it into your kids' names. So, um, for example, kids' income is taxed at a much lower marginal rate than parents' income. So shifting that income is one of the shelters. And again, that's going to free up, typically it's going to free up money from the tax code, not necessarily from the college financial aid system. However, um, there are also strategies where kids don't have to show money. There's tax credits and all sorts of other stuff. So that's one thing. Another, um, another way is, you know, most small businesses are organized as S-Corps or sometimes LLCs, mostly. And the reason for that is because accountants recommend that because there's only one level of taxation. Now, again, I'm speaking at, at a school here. I'm a recovering attorney. I am not a CPA. So the advantage is you're not taxed twice. Like a, a regular corporation, a, a C-Corp, um, income comes in and you're taxed at the corporate level. And then if you dividend it out, to your owners, to your shareholders, then you're taxed again. So that's why a lot of accountants say, uh, let's just do an escort just to flow through. Okay, <clears throat> it can make sense in some cases. And this is something that I, probably personally did. Doesn't mean it's right for you. How many disclaimers am I gonna give? It's like a bit of information and two disclaimers. God, will this guy shut up about that? All right, <laughs> so, um, the advantage in a situation like that is if you take in a bunch of income at the corporate level and, it, and, and store it there, it does not filter down to the shareholders um, unless you dividend it out or you, you run payroll or, or something like that. So if you can come up with other ways to reap the benefit of that income, and are, these are all legal and ethical ways that uh, very high level um, multimillionaire and billionaire type uh, business owners and, and uh, other you know, top one percenters do. If you can keep that income off of your personal balance sheet, so to speak, that's going to also stay off your personal financial aid 
balance sheet, or I should say your income, personal income statement and balance sheet for financial aid. So what that does is lower your income, not only for tax purposes, potentially, if you structure it right, but also in the financial aid formulas. And income is the most important part, again, of any financial aid office's consideration of how much you're going to uh, receive or not receive. You know, income and assets are treated completely differently. Income is penalized up to 47% of that amount that you show on paper, your adjusted gross. Actually, all income, not just adjusted gross. And parent assets are penalized, savings, the ones that count, are penalized at roughly 5%. So big discrepancy between income and assets. So if you can figure out a way to control your income, and again, 99% of the time that's for business owners, and you do things right, what you might be able to do is lower your income for tax purposes, lower your income for financial aid, need-based financial aid purposes. Uh, there may be other benefits too to that. So um, that's something you should look at with a qualified accountant. And uh, I, I don't hesitate to refer people to um, to Rick, my guy. So if that's something that you're interested in, just that's a, something you should email me, not post here. Once again, VIP at LockwoodCollegePrep.com. He's a little quirky. And that's probably surprising to you that I would work with someone like that. Um, but he's a great guy. And if you're a client of ours, I will refer you. I should specify that. If you're not a client of ours, um, I can't vouch for you. So I will not. Um, that's really it. So let me just wrap up with questions here. I gave last call. Let's see what's going on here. Uh, Christina Bono, thankfully, COVID's impact seems to have resulted in some give on the merit aid for returning students, where grades may not have quite made this requirement. Few, right? Um, thank you for bringing that point up. The most merit aid, probably all merit aid um, scholarships from colleges, require that you maintain a minimum GPA. Usually it's like 3.0, oh, it could be 3.2. So if you don't have that, then you're in danger of losing your scholarship. But as Christine just pointed out, um, so this year, and probably this year only, colleges have been a little bit lenient, not completely on waiving those requirements, particularly if you just missed hitting that 3.2 or that 3.0. So um, very good point and important. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of College Coffee Talk. Have a great week. Wherever you're listening to this, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Please share this. Um, if you can give us a rating, you know, a six on a scale of one to five, something reasonable like that. I appreciate that also. And uh, Pearl and I together will be back next week once she returns from her southern swing and she's all tan. And I'm stuck here in the cold Northeast. But enough about me. This is about you. Have, have a great week. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the College Planning Edge podcast. For more information about our Inner Circle Group Coaching Membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water of the whole college planning morass. Um, and get access to our double secret software, College Guru software that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat, juicy merit aid and need-based aid opportunities, as well as some other benefits. Check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at lockwoodinnercircle.com and use the coupon code podcast for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.